This is the Pathways to Greatness podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Forrester. So today's episode is going to be a lot different than the other episodes that I've had, either with guests, which is primarily what I do, and then I've had a few single solo episodes that um, I've shared some thoughts, and so this one's going to be similar to that, but I would say different in the context of I'm going to share a story from the Bible and to let you know... so. I was scrolling through Instagram and I've been a huge follower of Colorado football like most people have when Coach Prime uh, went to Colorado this past um, offseason. And he shares a lot of really good stuff and shares a lot about his faith and the coach's faith around him. And this particular coach stood up and he was talking about Gideon and how Gideon started with a whole lot of people and through... Um, testing, narrowed it down to just a few. And it resonated a lot with me because um, it's a great story and it's a story that I grew up listening to and reading and understanding, but I hadn't dove into it as much as I wanted to. So in this episode, I'm going to read from Judges 6 and 7 primarily. So those of you who may or may not be um, a, a Bible believer. It's Judges is a book in the Old Testament, and it's a really good book. It's got a lot of great stories that in my Sunday school we read a lot about. And then um, through with some friends of mine, we read through the Bible every year through the Uversion app. And so I'm always reminded of a lot of these stories. And so as I go through the story of Gideon today, I want to have you listen to it in the context from two different angles. So one is you being in the army of Gideon. And I'll get to it as I I go through it. The other part of you as Gideon in how you face certain things in your life. And that's the way I'm looking at it in both contexts. So that's why I wanted to do it because I thought of it not only as me as Gideon, and I think most people who have looked at the story, they put themselves in his shoes because he's the central character of the story. I think also how important it is to find yourself as a member of the army. So it's the the unsung extra of the story, but plays a really important part. So to give you context of the story, so this comes from Judges 6, is Israel had been saved from Egypt and they had been led out by Moses and then brought into the promised land by Joshua because of the issues that Moses had and a lot of the Israelites had had. Anyways, he had, God had promised to take them to Egypt, so that's where they were. Well, over time, these Israelites forget how they got there, why they got there, and who got them there. So God decided that it was important for them to be reminded of that. And so because of their evil ways, because of their idolatry, God allowed Midian to come in and oppress Israel. And the, the words that they, that's used in the Bible is the Israelites were um, evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, that's pretty big. If you are sitting there and you've done 
He's done all this thing for you and you still forget. And how many times in our lives do we forget what God has done for us? So that's where moments of gratitude on a daily basis to ground yourself in what you're grateful for and what he's done in your life. This is from my perspective. Um, is important so we don't forget that and then go back to our old ways. So they were under such oppression by the Midianites that the Israelites made dens in caves in the mountains to get away from them. So they had to hide. So they had to run and hide. And because the the evil that had come through by the Midianites um, was so oppressive that every time they tried to plant crops, have stock, cattle, sheep, whatever it may be, the Midianites would swoop in with their tents, set up camp, and take everything and then destroy what's left. So finally, the Israelites were like, okay, we're out of here. We're just going to go hide in the dens and caves. And it just kept happening over and over and over again. So what do we do when we're at rock bottom, or in their case, in a cave with nothing, is you cry out to God. And this was their way of saying, look, we, we messed up. We need help. Save us. So God decided to, as he always does, is have a central character rise that no one would expect, and that was Gideon. And in Judges 6, 13 through 16, let me read that. Sorry, I thought I had it queued up. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if this... If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So he's recounting, Gideon's recounting all the wonderful things that his father and grandfather had shared about them being saved from Egypt. And he's like, okay, where did all that go? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So, we can continue to look at this in our life as, as Gideon, is how many times have we been called to something and our fear and our lack of confidence, self-confidence, self-esteem will hold us back from doing what God's challenged us to do. This is screaming at me right now because it's such an important lesson that we need to think about is if we look at how do we even know, and this is a completely different topic that we can discuss at another time if you if everybody's interested, but how do you even know you're being called by God and not called by selfish reasons? For me is the way I determine if I'm called by God or my selfish ambition is am I helping others with relentless passion and focus, meaning that it has nothing to do with my well-being and what's going to pad my pockets, but how much is it going to help someone else? That's just how I define it. Now, with that does not mean that we cannot make money doing that. We have to find our passion, find the calling that we feel um, God's leading us to. And then from that is we pour ourselves into that wholeheartedly, and then God will take care of the rest. Doesn't mean we're going to be millionaires with Learjets and all that fun stuff, but he will take care of us. And so 
Gideon then comes back and he says to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. So Gideon has this, and it's it's interesting as we go through chapter six, he goes through this constant effort to ask God to show himself. We do the same thing. We pray for parlor tricks for God to do that. So to me, I'm challenged with that because then that has a lack of faith on our part as if we feel called. And then now we start asking God's to show me a sign, like show me a sign of, of why I should be going this way versus having relentless faith and going forward, even when the signs don't necessarily exist. He will reveal himself if you follow him. So Gideon goes, goes to his house, prepares everything, comes back, makes a, a sacrifice. And then the angel in verse 20, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on the rock and pour them, pour the broth over them. So soak them wet. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened caked and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So he just asked for a sign. God delivered the sign. Gideon's like, okay, you've done it. I believe you. This is where it's at. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then God reassures him, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. How many times has have, have I had that overwhelming feeling through prayer, through reading scripture, through phone calls from friends reassuring me that I'm on the correct path and need to stay on that path, but I still am challenged. So he... Gideon is asking for a sign. He gets the sign. And so, but he was still afraid to do what God told him to do. So God says, okay, now go tear down this altar of your dad and the rest of the the tribe um, because you should not be worshiping other idols other than me. So he says, okay, so I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. Now, don't forget, he said, don't fear. You will not die. But Gideon's fear, like all of the rest of us have this, welled back up to the point where he's like, okay, I'm going to do what God said. However, I'm going to do it under the cover of darkness because I'm still afraid that, hey, everybody's going to find out it's me and they're going to want my head. So he goes and he does it and they find out. So they wake up the next morning they see that this altar has been destroyed. And from that, they come and they go to... Gideon's dad, they're like, all right, we know that Gideon did it and you need to bring him out so we can kill him for destroying this altar. Well, Gideon's dad stands up for Gideon, whether he did specifically or not, but he's like, hey, if Baal is really a god, then Baal needs to take care of his own business. And so if you kill Gideon, I'm going to kill you. But if Baal kills Gideon, then hey, he did his job. And that's what he was supposed to do if he's really a god. Well, Gideon didn't die. So we know where that goes. So even after all of this, he had the signs, he asked for the signs, he went and did what he did. He didn't die. 
Then God's like, okay, I need you to go after and defeat the Midianites. And then <laughs> in um, 6, 36 through 40, this is the one I love. This is the parlor tricks that I was telling you about earlier. So he's like, okay, <clears throat> if you will save Israel by my hand, <clears throat> as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early in the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung it enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with this fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground, let there be dew. <clears throat> and God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground, there was dew. So I just think that this is, again, we test God. I test God. I'm not going to say that you do. I test God all the time in very similar fashions. Okay, I'm going to do what you said, but I just need you to do one more thing to show me that this is really what you want me to do. And then he, <clears throat> he does it. He reveals himself in one way, shape, or form. Now, he's able to do signs and and different types of feats like this now. He just doesn't. And because we have the Bible, we have the background, we have the, the letters that should be strengthening our faith and strengthening ourselves. But we do this kind of things all the time. And I think that's a negotiation with God that we should not be going down. Um, but he, Gideon does it. <clears throat> Again, he asked for two different, he did it once, God delivered. And then he's like, okay, can I ask one more time? Because this time, I mean it. If you do this, then I'm all in. So God delivers and shares this. So here's where I want you to start to think of yourself as a member of Gideon's army. And then the previous chapter Hopefully you can relate and you have some connections to the challenges that Gideon has. A, being called to do something that's very scary. B, being called and you feel like that you're not worthy of doing what you've been called to do because of what the society or the community has deemed. Don't forget, he's like, I come from the, the least tribe and I'm the least of my father's house. So he's like the 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 lowest of the lows and so he feels insignificant if you study the bible at all god does this with virtually every single character that is revealed in person it's not a character because they're real that every person that he raises up to set forth as an example for us david saul solomon like all these different people that come through all the way to jesus these are unexpected people. The disciples were unexpected men that nobody felt were qualified to do what they needed to do. But just think of the impact that they've had on society. And so Tim Story talks about, and I don't know if this is an original quote from him, is God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the calls called. So... As we go into this Gideon message, so this is Judges chapter 7. I, again, I want you to think of it in the context of you as Gideon. We did that in chapter 6. 
But I also want you to think about if if someone stands up and you're a member of the army, where would you be? How are you preparing yourself to be ready for the call? And how can you then surround yourself with like-minded people? All right, here we go. So I'm going to read the whole chapter of Judges 7. And this is from the English Standard Version. So then Jerobal, Jerobal, anyways, that's Gideon. (laughs) I'm not great with a lot of these biblical names. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. So what he means by that is, is he doesn't want so many people there that they see that they did this and not God. Now, therefore, proclaim, excuse me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So God had brought forth 32,000 people to surround Gideon. That Gideon, when he finally is like, yes, I'll go attack the Midianites to save Israel. He's thinking he's got 32,000 men behind him to be able to go and to conquer this. So that helped him have some security to know that he wasn't by himself. So as we go through this, start thinking of how many times have you started on what your call, what you felt your call from God was. You had a lot of people around you, but now all of a sudden people are starting to drop off. They're not around as much, and you're starting to feel starting to feel a potentially a little lonely. And you're okay when you lose the twenty-two thousand, because there's still ten thousand with you. And then all of a sudden, the Lord said to Gideon, "The people are t- still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. <clears throat> and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you." shall go with you, and anyone whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men, But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So that there, just to to bring it back. So what God was saying is, if someone just puts both hands on the ground, so just imagine you've got this this spring in front of you and you have a large number that God's saying, okay, if they put their head to the water, so that's both, they put their swords down, their spears, whatever they have, put both hands on the ground and they just jam their head in the water. What's the problem with that? Your eyes are down looking in the water. Your face is potentially in the water. You can't see if anybody's coming to attack you. So the 300 men who lapped like a dog had their sword, spear, bow and arrow, whatever their weapon was in one hand, they scooped up water and then they lapped it like a dog while they were still looking around. So they were alert, they were prepared, they were ready. 
So these were the 300. And so that's where with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go to their home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he set, sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. So the 9,700 took off. So now it's Gideon and 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. Now, what I don't see, and there's probably scholars that are reading this, I don't see the number of Midianites, but it was a large group. It was large, much, much larger than the 300. And that's where the fear and trepidation from Gideon came from. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Now what does he do? Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. So again, he was scared to go, but God gave him an out. He's like, look, I, I know you're scared because he knows everything. So just go down there and listen, and I'll, I'll show you a, another sign that will strengthen you. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. That's a lot. That means their camels were, they couldn't even, there were so many they couldn't count them. They were as the sand on the seashore, which is incredible. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, There is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Now again, he went down to talk and listen. He didn't really talk, but he was listening to what the Midianites had to say. So they're seeing this and they're interpreting this this dream. Verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all them and empty jars with torches inside the jar. So I want to stop real quick. So again, think of yourself. What if you're one of the 300? What if you have a friend, a family member, somebody that you trust that has a vision? Are you one of those 300? Are you prepared? Are you strong? Do you believe in God enough that he divinely put you with Gideon to follow them into battle? Because they don't talk about the 300 and if any of them were scared. My guess is is that God picked the right 300 that were ready to go. So that to me means if you're Gideon and you're on this path to go into this battle that God called you to go, Do you have the right people around you? God will take the the wrong people out. Doesn't mean anything against them. So nothing in this scripture so far has said that God thinks anything ill of those people who left. He needed a small number around Gideon. So whatever happens, they know that it was due to God's divine hand in this mission. 
So think about your life. You're one of the 300 or you're Gideon. How does this play out? So verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. This is Gideon talking. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands trumpets to blow. Do they have any swords? They don't have anything. They had lanterns and trumpets. And they cried. This is how awesome God is. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. They were killing each other. (laughs) I mean, Gideon went through there. Again, he started with 32,000 men to go defeat the Midianites. So his thought was, okay, we're going to go into this brutal battle and destroy them. Well, lo and behold, God had narrowed it down to the right 300 men, and he took the swords out of their hands and put trumpets and lanterns. So how many times are you in a position where you you feel like you know how to defeat the Midianites or defeat the challenge that's in front of you, but God has other plans? And the army fled as far as Beth Shitta towards Zariah, as far as the border of Abel Mehola by Tabtha or Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the water as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to the Gideon across the Jordan. So Gideon was faithful. Gideon tested God and asked for signs and parlor tricks to make him feel more comfortable in moving forward. And guess what? God did it. God did the things that he didn't have to do because of Gideon's fear, Gideon's lack of faith, Gideon's self-esteem issues, his self-confidence issues, the things that he was holding himself back from. And if you remember in verse in chapter 6, what did God say? Do you remember? He said, "Go and fear not, you will not die." So, he did what God told him to do. But even after God said, go and you will not die, he still had concerns. 
He still had fears. He still was weak. He still didn't understand why me. He thought, okay, I'm going to do the things that God told me to do because I have 32,000 people behind me. And he forgot that God said again, verse 23 of Judges 6, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. So God promised him that before he even sent him into battle. And like I said, he still had questions, still had doubt. And God answered the signs and, and answered the, the prayer requests that he had to continue to move him forward. So God's not going to leave us when we have doubt and we have fear because he knows we're weak, we're human. We, we have these challenges. We have the constant whispers of the devil to tell us otherwise, to not pursue our dream, to not pursue the calling that we have on our heart um, to do what we need to do for God and for man. So he decided, okay, I'm going to do it. I got this. This is something I can eat. I can do it. Okay. He's done all these, these fun signs. I've got 32,000 behind me. I've got so many people behind me that's supporting me. Well, God's like, no, that's too many people because with all these people behind you, then you're going to be able to create excuses, create reason and logic of it was them. It wasn't God. So he narrows it down. So how many times in life do you start out something that you have a ton of support, a ton of people behind me, you're just pumped and ready to go? How fast is that first round of, congratulations, you can do this. You're built for this. You're made for this. How many times does that go away? How quickly does that go away? And then you still have a second round of people. So you still have 10,000. So you're like, all right, all right. Those first people, that's cool. That's great. And then they go. And then you got the 10,000 and then they're there and that's great. That's neat. But then God's like, nope, still too many. So what's your number? Like what's, what's your number of 300? It's not going to be 300 most likely to start out with. Now it will grow. You'll create support as you start to continue to pour into what you've been called to do. But there's going to be those lonely times where it may feel like it's just you and three people. It may be you um, and the people within the four walls of your house. The the thing that I want to also encourage you is there's people supporting you out there that you don't know are supporting you. I've been blown away because of the support that I've received over the last two years as I pursue this adventure of of coaching and and <clears throat> leading and training people that. I'll have people just out of the blue come through and show me signs and support of, of what I should do, which is that encouragement to keep going, that encouragement to I'm on that right path. So I would consider those people part of my 300. And so I may have 300. I don't know. So many times they don't reveal themselves until it's necessary, until you need that sign, until you need that dream interpreted just like Gideon did. It's like, okay, I know I don't have many people around me, God. You've even taken away the swords and spears that I think that are needed and replace them with trumpets and lanterns. Not just lanterns, lanterns in a clay pot. So the light hasn't even shown on everybody around you. 
just know and and believe that God will deliver you. God will do what he has promised as long as you keep your faith and your focus on him. Keep your trust. Pray. Be honest with him. Have a that's the great thing about having a relationship with God is like Gideon, be open. And again, I do my best to not ask and negotiate and just just have true faith. But if you need to ask for things and be open and honest and just cry out that you're struggling with your faith and struggling with believing, you need to do that because that gives you the power and gives him the power over those words of doubt, those thoughts of doubt. And it talks about in the Bible is take every thought captive. And that's really what you need to do is to hold on to the the focus and the vision of what you want to do and making sure that it's for your true calling, whatever that may be, that you're going to have the right people around you. God's going to equip you and them with the right thing to defeat the army and the obstacles that are before you. So as you think about it, as I close this episode, if you're in somebody's 300, how much support and faith and encouragement and challenge do you offer them? Are you building them up as they go into a a fearful, adventurous risk with their life, with their career? Or are you tearing them down because you're afraid and you're one of the the 31,700 that left because you weren't equipped to go follow someone into battle? Nothing against it. And if you were one of those large number that left Gideon's side, what can you do to prepare yourself to be ready so if that happens again, that you'll be counted in one of the 300? And if you're Gideon, do you have a good, clear vision of what you want to do with your life, the calling that you've had from God? And you can't know what your calling from God is until you have a relationship with him, until you have that that back and forth of prayer, of studying the word, um, surrounding yourself with the right people that will help teach and test everything that you believe. Because we're, we're called to do that. We're called to test everything and compare it to scripture and read and pray and continue to go through those things. So once you have started that path and you, you know where you're going, and sometimes God reveals what your calling is without that, because he's using that to bring you closer to him. And so as you're on that, that journey and people start to drop off, don't lose faith. God's got you on that path for a reason. God's equipping you for what you need to give him the glory, not you the glory. So if you feel like that you're standing up and you're saying, me, 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 look what I've done, just think, think differently. Think of what has he done for you and what can you do for him? I hope you've enjoyed today. I hope you enjoyed this format. And if you did, please let me know if you listen to it. And this is something that resonated. It's helping helping me to strengthen um, my study of scripture, my study of these stories, and then how to apply them. It's not just a story that you read, like a, a nonfiction book or even a biography, but 
what do you do with the information that you have and how can you apply it to your everyday life? So have a wonderful day. And again, this is a reminder, I read this from Judges 6 and 7. And the book of Judges is awesome, filled with fantastic stories. Have a great day.